Howdy friends, this is Matt Sewell and you're listening to episode 38 of the Popecast, the podcast about popes for people who love history but don't have time nor the interest to pick up dry, dusty history books. Before we get into our topic for today, a quick thanks to our sponsors over at Catholic Balm Co. Listeners who happen to be Catholic and have beards hanging off of their faces may know their handcrafted Barbados beard balms and ambry beard oils. Well, I certainly do, and I've been using their stuff for several years now. So the guys over at Catholic Balm Co. have just released the fittingly titled Petra solid colognes, a line of all-natural solid colognes, perfumes, and aromas that are custom-blended and handmade using the finest ingredients, among uh, which are shea butter, jojoba oil, and beeswax, and then, of course, uh, the various actual smells based on the the flavor of your choice. So you can find all that and more at catholicbalm.co. That's catholicbalm.co. And listeners of the Popecast get 10% off your entire order by entering the word Pope, P-O-P-E, at check out. Once again, that's catholicbomb.co and the word Pope at checkout. So thanks again to Catholic Bomb Co. for sponsoring this episode. Our Pope this week is one of the greatest heroes of the ancient church that you've never heard of. Well, at least not until now. He was only Pope for a short time, but his witness and heroic martyrdom left a mark that has echoed down through the centuries, almost 18 centuries in fact. This week is the 23rd successor of St. Peter, the Pope who didn't back down, St. Sixtus II. The only thing history recalls of Pope Sixtus II prior to his election of the papacy was written by his biographer, Pontius, that Sixtus was, quote, a good and peaceful priest. Not a bad thing to have be the only thing that people remember about you before your papacy. Sixtus was elected pope in secret on August 31st, 257 AD, when Christianity was still very much illegal in the Roman Empire. The emperor Valerian had initiated the first of his persecutions just prior to this pope's election, which according to the Catholic Encyclopedia, quote, made it binding upon the Christians to participate in the national cult of the pagan gods and forbade them to assemble in the cemeteries, threatening with exile or death whomsoever was found to disobey the order. End quote. Now, sneakiness was apparently a good quality to have in those days, and Sixtus possessed it to a fair degree, having run the growing church in his role as successor of St. Peter relatively unbothered for his first 11 months. During that time, a carryover from his predecessor, St. Stephen I, was the issue of what to do with lapsed Christians who wanted to rejoin the church. Given the brutal persecutions of the time, there were, as you might imagine, plenty of people in the early church who would renounce their faith under pressure, only to repent and desire to come back into full communion once the persecution had passed. To say nothing of anybody's sincerity in those situations, uh, to the positive or the negative, Lord knows the threat of death is no small matter. There were varying opinions among those still within the church on what lengths the lapsi, as they were called, should be made to go before being let back into the church, if they were let back in at all. So along with this, as if that issue wasn't enough, the most extreme of this, of this group was a sect of Eastern Christians led by the theologian Novation, who held that the lapsi were basically one and done. If they renounced their faith, sorry, Charlie, no more church for you. 
Now, thankfully, St. Cyprian of Carthage, who was a bishop in the East at the time, led the Church of Rome in declaring Novatianism a heresy. And by the time Sixtus rolled around, there was still a bit of controversy brewing, but the more practical question had then arisen of whether or not to rebaptize those who were coming back into full communion. The African and Asiatic churches, those in the East, had developed this practice of rebaptism, and neither Sixtus nor his predecessor Stephen were in favor of such things. However, where Stephen was more of a hardliner, bringing relations with those churches to the brink of rupture, Sixtus ended up likely seeing the writing on the wall and cooled the papal jets a little bit once he was in office and took more of a tolerant stance while still, of course, not allowing for rebaptism. But in any case, that 11-month stint of Sixtus's to operate unbothered wouldn't last. In the early days of August 258, Valerian was growing more paranoid that his leniency, if you can call it that, toward the Christians was angering the Roman gods. And so, he upped the ante, declaring a far more ghastly edict that not only could Christians not gather for worship, but any bishops, priests, or deacons were to be immediately put to death if caught. And it seems that our saintly Pope was among the first to fall victim to this cruel new persecution. He had gathered a group of Christians for Mass in one of the lesser-known cemeteries, the Catacomb of Pretextatus, and was preaching from his chair when a band of soldiers burst in and seized he and four of his deacons. Preferring to lead to the very end, Sixtus insisted that he be the first to be granted the crown of martyrdom. Pope St. Sixtus II was beheaded that very day, August 6, 258, along with the deacons Januarius, Vincentius, Magnus, and Stephanus. Two others, Felicissimus and Agapetus, were martyred later that same day. Their feast, that of St. Sixtus II and Companions, is celebrated on August 7th to this day. The remains of the group were interred in the catacomb of St. Calixtus, with the Pope's bloodstained chair being enshrined behind his tomb. An oratory was built over the spot where Sixtus and his companions were martyred, called plainly the Oratory of Sixtus, and was visited by pilgrims until at least the 7th or 8th century. There was an inscription honoring Sixtus that was placed over his tomb by Pope St. Damasus I, uh, Popecast episode number 4, for anybody who hasn't heard it. Uh, it was almost a century after his death, and it reads, quote, at the time when the sword pierced the bowels of the mother, I, buried here, taught as pastor the word of God, when suddenly the soldiers rushed in and dragged me from the chair. The faithful offered their necks to the sword, but as soon as the pastor saw the ones who wished to rob him of the palm of martyrdom, he was the first to offer himself and his own head, not tolerating that the pagan frenzy should harm the others. Christ who gives recompense, made manifest the pastor's merit, preserving unharmed the flock. End quote. Incidentally, Sixtus was martyred in close proximity to two other prominent saints of the church. One, his friend St. Lawrence, who was also a deacon in Rome, was martyred within just four days of Sixtus. Lawrence is known to have had a holy sense of humor for anybody who hasn't heard the story, having playfully mocked the emperor on at least two different occasions. I'm sure history has forgotten several others. One time when the emperor demanded that he be brought these supposed riches of the Christian people, St. Lawrence brought all of Rome's poor to the imperial doorstep. And then the second time was Lawrence's martyrdom itself, 
He was grilled alive. And after some time of being on the grill, he was asked if he had anything to say for himself. He replied to his executioner, turn me over. I'm done on this side. The other prominent saint was St. Cyprian of Carthage, who we mentioned earlier in this episode. He was martyred in Carthage, barely a month after Sixtus and his deacons on September 13th, a victim of the very same persecution. Now, as far as their legacy, if the names Sixtus, Cyprian, and Lawrence sound familiar to any of those listeners who happen to be Catholic, the reason may be that you hear those names often read in what's called the Roman Canon, during the liturgy of the Eucharist, there are four Eucharistic prayers, so um, sometimes priests don't pick this first one, but in Eucharistic prayer one, the priest asks the prayers of several saints of the early church, men and women, clergy and laity alike, and you'll hear the priest pray at one point the following, quote, in communion with those whose memory we venerate, especially the glorious ever-Virgin Mary, mother of our God and Lord Jesus Christ, and blessed Joseph, her spouse, your blessed apostles and martyrs, Peter and Paul, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, James, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon, and Jude. And then here, Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, Cornelius, Cyprian, Lawrence, Chrysogonus, John, and Paul, Cosmos, and Damian, and all your saints. We ask that through their merits and prayers in all things, we may be defended by your protecting help through Christ our Lord. Amen. End quote. And as for what we can learn from someone like Sixtus, Cyprian, and Lawrence, as I wrote in a piece about St. Sixtus II and his companions for the National Catholic Register a couple years back, Sixtus embodies our Lord's command in John 15, 13. He willingly laid down his very life for his friends, the flock he was called to protect at all costs. And such a gesture is especially important and poignant for us as we navigate uh, what we might call an increasingly hostile Western society. The story of Sixtus and his holy companions should not only stir within us a zeal for our own faith, but it should teach us the value of staying hope-filled amidst a fallen world. Hope, we should should remember, uh, isn't simply bland optimism, but is rather, as uh, one Archbishop Emeritus Charles Chaput, formerly of Philadelphia, put it, having confidence that the future is in God's hands is what hope is. I mean, who are we beholden to in this life? And just how serious are we about defending them with our own lives might be a good question we can ask ourselves. And more to it, when the going gets particularly tough, are we hopeful in our prayer that we'll have the courage to persevere? Do we recognize, if we are believers, that the Lord is the divine ruler of all things and thus will help us through those moments when the situation is bleakest and maybe even especially when things look the worst? I mean, regardless of our answers in the present moment, we ought to remind ourselves always that hope, being a virtue, is something that must be cultivated. It isn't just there. It isn't something we can put on and throw off willy-nilly. And in fact, it's precisely in the moments where our resolve is the most tested that our real opportunity to be hopeful happens. And here, I love G.K. Chesterton's quote, as usual, very eloquent. He says, quote, hope means hoping when things are hopeless where it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is merely flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength, end quote. So true Christian hope is seen par excellence in Sixtus and his friends. If you get anything out of this episode, I hope it's that. Pope St. Sixtus II knew that he had run the race well and that it was an eminently good thing to offer his life so that others might live. And why? 
because he had a God who did it first. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks as always for listening to everyone out there. A quick couple of requests before we go. First, if you enjoy the podcast, would you be willing to just take a couple of minutes if you haven't already and uh, both subscribe and leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Uh, the more positive reviews we get, the more likely it's, it's shown to others in search results and things. And so then of course, the more folks can learn about the popes and their history. And then secondly, if you if you believe in the work we're doing, you really like uh, the Popecast and want to support our work to help us to continue producing these episodes, please consider joining us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash thepopecast. That's patreon.com slash thepopecast. Patrons get early access to every new Popecast episode. Receive an exclusive podcast sticker no matter the level that you're at, but uh, folks who give it higher tiers per episode get extra bonuses like getting to ask a question on a future episode, picking the popes we do for a future episode, uh, and even uh, at certain levels, podcast swag like mugs and t-shirts. So uh, go ahead and check it out if you haven't yet at patreon.com slash thepopecast. Uh, and also, speaking of that, thanks to John, our newest patron. And then lastly is a teaser... For next week's episode, by popular demand, the people have spoken. We'll be doing our very first episode on the great Pope St. John Paul II. Uh, And on this one, it will cover his early life and priesthood. So this is the first episode that we'll have done on on JP2, but it certainly won't be the last. I mean, if George Weigel can write two books that are 800 to 1,000 pages each, uh, it'll take more than a couple of podcasts to uh to cover john paul ii adequately so don't miss it next week john paul ii the very first episode on him so as we close this week we ask for the intercession of pope saint sixtus ii and his companions that we might cultivate true christian hope in our own lives and that we never will fear persecution no matter the severity until next time